everyone. Welcome to Typhoon Talks, brought to you by Typhoon Consulting, a boutique management consultancy headquartered in Hong Kong. My name is Chen Yang, and I'm a consultant here with the firm. And I'm Annie Tseng. I'm an analyst with the firm. In 2013, a study of the future of employment by two Oxford researchers predicted that nearly 50% of the work will likely to be replaced by artificial intelligence over the next two decades. Continuing our series on demystifying AI, today we will be focusing on the human side of AI. What are valuable human skill sets in an AI world? Our guest today is Kevin Pereira. As a graduate of the Wharton School and NCI Business School, Kevin is now an MD of Blue Limited, a Hong Kong-based consulting firm specializing in AI. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you for having me. So there are many numbers being thrown around with relation to AI's impact on employment. Recently, an OECD report found that 210 million jobs were at risk. Among them, food preparation, construction, and cleaning were found highest risk, while teaching, upper management and politics, and hospitality and retail management were relatively safe. So, Kevin, what kind of skill sets are going to become obsolete, and what kind of skill sets are going to become more valuable in an AI world? Sure. So, I think at the you know the end of the day,、uh, one of the one of the key pieces of what AI can do is really the more repetitive, structured tasks that are out there. And specifically, when I say that, it's it's tasks that have very narrow task definition. So, if I give an example, right? If you take a picture of a、uh, a cat, and you ask an AI, "Is this a cat or not a cat?" That's very easy for an AI to do. But if you take a picture of an alligator and you ask the AI, "What animal is this?" That's very hard, right? But for a human, that's a lot easier. So, in terms of kind of areas or 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 types of jobs that are that are potentially at risk, I would say anything that's repetitive, structured,、uh, that requires very little、uh, differentiation between time one and time two when things are done, those will typically be areas that we'll see a lot of change in.、Uh, in terms of skill sets, I think that are going to become more valuable in the AI world.、Um, I really think anything to do with human to human interaction is going to be the main、uh, key area that that is hardest to automate. So things like empathy, things like trust building, you know, sales skills, for example, I think are actually going to be really important because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're trying to sell, you know, a, a, a bottle of water or a computer, right? At the end of the day, the skill set is still talking to people, getting them to、uh, to listen to what you have to say, and ultimately persuade them to do something. And I think that, in terms of what in, what a skill set、uh, is going forward, I think is is going to be you know super helpful. I think the other one area that I think is important that often doesn't get mentioned as much is actually what I'd call storytelling. And, and I know it sounds really kind of soft, but at the end of the day, if you think about it, like, like you say, you have a CFO, right? And he's giving a, a earnings call. He actually has to tell a story. He has to take the numbers that are in the financial reports and actually tell a story. Then you've got people who, you know, again, we we have the sales skill piece where you're, you know, trying to persuade somebody to buy a newspaper. You're also trying to tell them a story. Why is this newspaper better than the other ones that are out there? So I think, you know, a storytelling I think is another piece on that sort of EQ side that I think is also really really important. So that's something that I would highly recommend for people to start developing or at least、mm-hmm. trying to do. Because I think going forward, that's going to be a, a really, really important、uh, area that I think humans are good at, and AI will take a long time to get there. So, will AI and automation create more jobs than it will destroy in the future? Yeah, that's a good. That's an interesting one, right? I I do think at the end of the day,、um, a lot of the jobs that it's create that's going to create, we can't really conceptualize those right now. And I'll give you an example, right? Twenty years ago, if you asked someone. Or, or if, a, if a kid told you, "I'm going to be an app developer," right? No one would have any idea what that is. But today, you look at a lot of、uh, places in Asia, and a lot of people are doing app development, right?、Uh, 
so I, I think it's one of those where we can't quite conceptualize what's coming. And so I think that the what's like so the actual type of job that's coming that that I don't know and I, that I think a lot of people have no idea at the minute. Um, one one area though that people are thinking AI is going to help out a lot is is what they call like um, a role that's similar to a business translator. So this is actually in a McKinsey report recently. But the idea is you have very tech focused people on one side and then you have business decision makers on the other. But often they don't speak the same language, yeah. right? And so having people who are able to a understand the tech at least at a surface level, and then be able to use their business acumen to figure out how we're going to commercialize that or use that is actually going to be really, really important. So I think that's going to be a new area of jobs that is going to start coming through. Um, I, I think also in terms of the kind of overall net number of jobs, though, that's an area that I worry about mm -hmm. because if you think about it, like let's just take Hong Kong, right? Tomorrow, if the government here switches or, or pushes on the switch for automated cars, all your bus drivers, cab drivers, minibus drivers are in trouble, right? And they tend to be at an age, I mean, call it, you know, I don't know, late 40s, early 50s maybe, right. where it's difficult to retrain them, right? And so I think part of what's going to happen is I think governments have a responsibility to kind of help society and retrain certain workers s to go into some of those newer jobs. Is it always going to be possible? I think it's going to be difficult from like a net number standpoint. Uh, so I, I think there's there's a certain kind of uh, there's going to be an, a responsibility from governments to start thinking how do we deal with potential unemployment issues that are coming up, and we actually get quite a few um, you know folks coming to us with those types of uh, questions, and so I, I don't think there's a really clear answer, but a lot of people are thinking about social systems and how we can uh, address potential unemployment going on in the future. So it's a big uh, it's a big uh, point of discussion within the AI space these days. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting because there's so much uncertainty. I think that's what really gets people both, people working on AI and people scared of AI. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, related to your point on people being scared of AI, right? Like one thing I always try and tell a lot of folks is the AI that's coming in the really, really short term is actually here to augment us for mm -hmm. the most part. Right. I think transportation is one area where there's potentially a difference there. But in most cases, it's going to take away a lot of the boring or mundane parts of our job and free us to do more interesting stuff. Um, I'll give you an example, right? So I used to be a private banker before. And so in private banking, the whole point is you add value by meeting clients, developing relationships, stuff like that. But in addition to that, you also have a lot of admin burden, right? right? So the KYC, the AML, a lot of documents, a lot of paperwork, right? So if AI can come in and actually make a private banker's life easier by automating that stuff, right. it actually frees them to do what they are really good at. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an example of that augmentation portion that I think AI is going to help. I'd be lying to you guys if I said there was no substitution, but we're going to see that tension between augmentation and substitution, and I think that's kind of, uh, the f a lot of people's fear is actually coming from that, right? I'm going to get substituted. But if you really look at the AI tech that we have today, again, it's very narrow, very niche, and so it's just helping with certain tasks. And so I think that's one of the things that I think address that fear that a lot of people typically have. But I think that the nuance is interesting because it'll be replacing jobs that are currently done by humans who don't have the luxury of getting a lot of education to get to a point where, you know, they, their jobs can be augmented because they're doing very much routine type of jobs. So maybe it's an interesting point to consider yeah. that the people who are going to be really helped by it are already ones who have the luxury of having jobs that, you know, you know, I actually challenge you on that. I, I disagree. I think even on the, on an admin side, right, there are probably certain things that are like really, really, really repetitive. Mm -hmm. And there are maybe other things that, that are different. So let's say, for example, an office receptionist, right? right. 
um, I think that's actually very hard to automate, right? Because um, that human touch, I think a lot of people value that. Yeah. Whereas if you had just like a robot saying, go in that direction to see Annie, right? It's, I, I think, I, I think there's a difference. Yeah. Um, but but, I, uh, but I, I also think that that will vary based on generations. So I mean, and maybe I'm dating myself a little here, but I always prefer the human piece. But I think there's definitely a lot of younger folks who today wouldn't mind a robot coming and saying, you know, take two, <laughs> where's the bathroom? Take two lefts yeah. and, and make a right. You right? just need to get used to that. Yeah. I think so. So so I think that personal preference between generations and also personal preference culturally makes a big difference too. Because I think uh, certain countries may value uh, that human piece and other places may value efficiency over that, mm -hmm. right? So I, I think in the whole adoption of AI and how things are, are coming, I think there's a big human and cultural overlay that's going to actually influence adoption rates. Right? Certain places are going to be really easy, other places are going to see a little bit more resistance. Yeah, and it always depends on who you're benchmarking with. Mm -hmm. If you talk about receptionists, if the general attitude of human service is poor, mm -hmm. then maybe people prefer to have a robot doing that kind of service. <laughs> but if people are really warm, that's the general impression, then people are worried about mm -hmm. how robots are going to replace receptionists in a high-touch way. Yeah, totally agree with that. Yeah. So actually that leads us perfectly into the next part, which I, I, I do want to ask you about the human element. So mm. the perception of AI is not one that's very human or warm, but with a lot of media and a, you know the movies that we've seen recently related mm -hmm. to AI, it does seem like AI could be able to replace certain human characteristics, especially like em empathy. And uh, I was actually listening to a podcast recently and it mentioned this conversation between a chatbot called Eugene Gutzman and uh, this BBC reporter called John Humphreys. And basically, the, this chatbot pretends to be a 13-year-old Ukrainian boy. And apparently, in one of the um, ways that they tested it, it almost, or it did pass a Turing test. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that was really interesting that they were able to add this human element that really made people believe that, you know, even though this chatbot doesn't have perfect English, it's because he's a 13-year-old boy, not because it's a robot. Do you think robots or chatbots or AI, are they close to passing the Turing test in light of the fact that um, chatbots or AI can gain empathy? What do you think the human advantage is? Okay, so take question one first then, right? The Turing test effectively is trying to convince somebody that the computer on the other side or the AI is effectively human and you're not able to differentiate that, right? right. So I think in many cases, um, when, when the first kind of versions of chatbots were coming out, the idea was let's just get the information right, right? Because at the end of the day, even if it's said correctly or like in a human voice or you know, with, with certain expressions, if the information is wrong, then that's not gonna work from day one. So I think the first focus always was let's get the information right. I think then they started to realize, okay, actually, you know, um, now that we have the information, certain people are still not responding to that, right? So our previous kind of comments on culture and other things have started affecting it. Right. So I think what what a lot of focus now is actually uh, is looking at is to humanize this, right? What are how how is society moving? So for example, before you might have said, you know, the the avenue that chatbots are being used might be over the phone. Right, because the phone, mm, back in the day, yeah. people would call. Right, but today, like I'm trying to think, when's the last time someone actually called me? I like I have to think about it. Right, and so, so like messaging is typically the more kind of primary method of communication for me. So actually, if a AI or a chatbot can actually start uh, interacting with me on a messenger and maybe using like silly stuff like emoticons once or once in a while, it actually humanizes the whole experience. Right. And so I think what a lot of focus is now being put on, now that the information piece is getting better, is actually how do we humanize this? 
And so do we put in you know, emoticons? Do we actually, um, in the text uh, discussion, like with things like um, things like maybe, I don't know. Um, there's actually a really good um, recent demo by Google, Google Assistant called oh, yeah. a hairdresser and actually talked. And if you look at the conversation, it's interesting because the Google Assistant also says things like, um, you know, uh, uh, actually, let me think. Like, you know, there are actually ways that it's that it's being humanized to a right, certain extent. Right. So I think efforts are definitely being made to do that. Mm -hmm. um, is it completely convincing? I, I still think not. And the reason why I say this is because you can have a chatbot that maybe tells you where's the closest uh, bank branch that you have. But if you switch that and then you say, you know, actually, where's the best, uh, you know, restaurant in this area? It won't have any idea. Right. right. So I think chatbots, and again, a lot of AI is very focused and niche in what it's doing. And so I think that being able to fool a human may be able to be done in a very specific area. But as soon as you broaden out the conversation or you make it a little bigger, I, I think things definitely change really, really fast from there. It sounds like it's like the interdisciplinary kind of, you know, the fact that humans are able to juggle a bunch of things, whereas AI is very... Um, Singular in yeah. that. Also, actually, I watched a video on Facebook where it was uh, there was an, a robot that was making pizza, but in order to make it attractive to people to or appealing for people to eat, they had to make it an imperfect spread of tomato sauce because otherwise people would be really weirded out or mm -hmm. something. So I thought that was really interesting. That yeah, and so I think you know that in itself is is just showing you that you know you need to respect the whole um, human piece and all of this stuff because if you just go for like the perfect answer every time. At a certain point, people find it hard to relate. It's about embracing imperfections. <laughs> I think so, right? Or, or actually being perfectly imperfect, right? Or imperfectly perfect, I guess, depending, <laughs> on, how, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. yeah. My next one is also kind of related to jobs as well. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a guy called Joff Colvin. He wrote a great book called Humans Are Underrated. And kind of speaks to the very much the same ideals as you did. So empathy is very important. And he claims that high empathy jobs, such as caretaking, teaching, social services, will become more and more important. So similar to what you mentioned before. Mm -hmm. Uh, but interestingly, what I found was that these jobs are also traditionally feminine jobs. So when you imagine like a nurse or a teacher, I think the, the first image that people come to, that comes to people's minds is a woman. So from a gender perspective, do you think that AI will impact men and women in different ways? Hmm. That's, a, that's an interesting one, right? I, I think um, with AI specifically, uh, there have been a lot of uh, thoughts into, into bias, right? And so I think it, depending on who's programming the AI, mm -hmm. you'll actually see inherent bias. Um, I, I don't know necessarily whether that, that's still, like if, if it, there's like a female programmer versus a male programmer, how that actually works right. in terms of the data. But my just kind of anecdotal thoughts on that is that there will probably be differences in bias, right? If they're teaching language, for example, perhaps, I'm not sure if it's male or female, but there's going to be biases based on different items, right? Culture, like your experiences, what you've done, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So from, from the perspective of bias and training, I, I definitely think that you know, that's something that people have to be aware of. Mm -hmm. With specifically the male-female dynamic in jobs, right? I was actually looking the other day at, in, in the US, uh, a recent census that they did, actually was looking at the number of male nurses that were out there, right? And so they were actually seeing that although the baseline number of male nurses is still very small, right. the growth rates that they're seeing there are actually quite high, right? More proportion than, than what they're seeing with women. So I think with the author you quoted, I, I agree that more of the empathy jobs are going to become more available. Right? And I think to a certain extent, that also comes down to human adaptation, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if there is a job that's there and that's the skill that you need, then you're going to try and develop it, right. right? 
And I also think, I mean, if we stay with the nurse piece, right, to a certain extent, you know, I've seen some really good nurses, like say, they, um, say they're gonna give an injection to a little baby, right? They either tell the baby, oh, look in the corner, or here's a lollipop, right? And then the baby just like, doesn't even like, see the injection coming, but they just, just jab the kid, right? And <laughs> normally, the good ones, you'll see that the babies don't really react that, that negatively, right? But I'm willing to bet that when this nurse first started doing that, that baby was crying, like that baby was not happy. And then they just tried a bunch of different stuff and they got better at it, mm -hmm. right? So I think likewise, um, you know, even if maybe more, maybe jobs that are traditionally were thought of as more male dominated, if those start disappearing and, and more jobs open up in the more traditionally female industries, then I think people, not just men and women, but I think people in general will start developing those skills, more mm -hmm. of necessity than anything else. And you know, if you ask me, if people become more empathetic, that's probably a good thing, in my view, yeah. right? Uh, so you know, I think to a certain extent, you will see these societal trends and changes happen based on what skill sets are becoming more valued, because people will ultimately have to do more of that. I mean, it's almost like a muscle, right? The more you exercise it, the better it gets, and and then the only other question then becomes, well, for the muscles that you don't exercise, do they disappear, and is mm -hmm. that a bad thing? Um, you know, and I think again, that's something we as society have to think about. Like, are there skill sets that, you know, that are being replaced that we still want to keep as humans and develop in some other way, or not? And I think these are going to be the questions that we have to wrestle with going forward. Yeah. So just now we discussed how AI might be able to spare some people from doing certain work and give them time to pursue their other interests. Mm -hmm. So the author of *Sapiens* raised a bracing prediction of the rise of the useless class. Just as mass industrialization created a working class, the AI revolution will create a new unworking class. And also there are a lot of debates around the universal basic income. How should we handle these ethical and social issues associated with the rise of AI? That's a really, really great <laughs> question for a, a podcast all in itself, right? <laughs> um, but if I was to kind of think about it uh, from, from a baseline level, I actually think a lot of this stuff happens with education, right? And so, for example, in an education system, and we can take Hong Kong as an example, I mean, I grew up here, uh, and a lot of my friends who went to local schools here, the emphasis was always on memorization, right? It was always on like very kind of rote stuff, which didn't really make you think creatively, mm -hmm. right? And so I think when you're, when you're thinking about these sort of ethical and, and social issues, if you need to start at the education level to first get people thinking about not being scared of AI, right? And I think once people understand it, then they can think about good and bad, right? I think when someone doesn't actually understand it and get it, to think about the ethics of something you don't know is also very scary. Mm -hmm. And partly because you're uninformed when you're making those choices, right? So I think the first step in my view is actually education to kind of tackle that. And then the next step is to think through the ethical and social parts. With regards to the ethical pieces there, I think one of the really key concepts that people are looking at is redistribution of wealth. Right? Yeah. So universal basic income, kind of similar to what you were saying. Um, my sense on a lot of this stuff, and again, I think the future is going to tell a lot more, is that AI will result in a lot of increased productivity. Right? So a lot of people who are thinking about UBI, their kind of economic argument for it is that um, because AI increases productivity by orders of magnitude, if governments try to like do things like tax robots or tax companies that are now producing, it's going to be less of a pain because before, let's say you're producing 100 units of output, right? And AI can come in and produce 500 units of output. You can tax that AI 20%, and that 100 units of value that you are doing anyway, that can be redistributed to you, yeah. and society is still net better off like by 4x, 
right? So that's the economic argument for it. I think in practice, I mean, anytime you've seen governments try to do a program of wealth redistribution, tends to not go well. Yeah. Right. I think Whether the Finnish government just stopped yes. the subsidy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, they, but I think they're actually going to be releasing their s- the results of their study later on this year. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what yeah. they what they came up with. Um, you know, the other examples of UBI that I've seen, there's a couple of examples going on in Kenya that are actually working really well. So they're seeing people be more entrepreneurial with the money. You know, I think the friendly enough, I think a lot of the women there are using the money in a more entrepreneurial way. That's mm. according to how they're seeing it. So they're building like hen houses, like growing like chickens and like mm. having eggs and selling these and stuff. Um, so I, I think we are seeing UBI or, or some concept similar to UBI used in a bunch of different places to varying degrees of success. Mm. Um, and, I, and again, I, I come back to the point that I do think there are some cultural and, uh, and kind of regional factors that are gonna determine that. Because if you think about it, right, on a base level, universal basic income says that I give the same amount of money to each person. And I think then it's uh, actually about society's attitude towards equality, right? Like in a capitalist place like a Hong Kong or New York or Singapore, I, I think a lot of people determine their self-worth not on how much do I have, but how much more than the other guy do I have? Yeah. Yeah. It's a relative discussion, right? And so I think in a place like that, it's something like universal basic income is harder to implement, right? Mm-hmm. But in another place where people aren't as worried about you know having better than the other guy, but just you know I'm being comfortable just on my own, I think that's a place where it's easier to install a, a, a system like like UBI, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So I think though that that attitude towards equality is actually something that governments have to think about as they try and enforce some of these uh, yeah, social programs if it comes to that. Mm. So does the rise of AI mean that people will no longer need to develop certain skills? And if so, is it a positive or a negative thing in your view? Uh, so in my view, I actually think it's very positive, right? I, I do think that a lot of those kind of low-level, boring types of jobs are going to go away. And I think there's going to be a more emphasis placed on other skill sets. But like we said before, I think education needs to change to reflect those skill sets. Right? And then the question then becomes, like, how do you train things like empathy? And it's hard. I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but I think these are the questions that I think educators are going to have to start wrestling with. Because they're going to have to see like, what are skill sets that are going to matter, and therefore we need to prepare our students in the proper way. Like you take law schools, for example. right? Like I was looking at a law school course register the other day. And I think in that, um, there's very few courses or, or pieces that have technology in there as part of the curriculum. Right? So I think that certainly will, will certainly need to change. Um, my view, though, is also in the more, on the more creative side of things. I think like the humanities, the arts are going to see a little bit of a comeback um, because I think those are areas where you know, people may start gravitating to because the skill set is perhaps a little less structured. And so I think that's, again, a little harder for AI to ultimately do. There are, there's a lot of effort, though, being made in, in sort of the AI and the arts. And, and so I don't think it's completely immune, mm-hmm. but I think it is definitely more difficult to do that than something that's structured and easy and repetitive. Right. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. To wrap up, Kevin, would you mind giving our listeners three key takeaways from today's episode? Sure. So I would definitely say that you know the, one of the most important things, I think, is that the skill sets that will matter going forward have to do with, with kind of human-to-human interaction and, and things along the, those softer skill lines, right? And so if, not, if anything else, I think starting to work on those or at least being cognizant of your own levels there is very important. 
Uh, I think number two, uh, and I, I think I'll, I've repeated this a lot when we've been talking, but you know, AI in the short and medium term is going to augment us rather than replace us. There's a few exceptions to that, but in general, I think that should be people's mentality when it comes to AI and change that we're going to see. Um, and then third, I think education definitely needs to evolve and develop the skills and assets that are going to be important for the future, both for people who are currently working as well as for future generations who are in schools right now and are trying to kind of uh, figure out what they want to do going forward. Yeah, great. Thanks. That wraps up today's episode of Typhoon Talks. Thank you very much, Kevin. Great. Thanks for having me. Follow us on Twitter at Typhoon Buzz and on iTunes and SoundCloud at Typhoon Talks for more podcast episodes. Also, please visit our website at www.typhoonconsulting.com.